Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me, as always, Zach Schneider and Troy Hensley. Today, we're going to be reviewing Marvel's Eternals, the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. Spoilers ahead for Marvel's Eternals, but first, Zach, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Restful week. Uh, looking forward to Thanksgiving coming up. Got family coming down. So, yeah, that's going to be fun. Excellent. Troy, you sound like you're speaking to us from far away. So uh, why don't you tell us what you're up to at the moment? I am in the land of the big UFOs up on the tower. Well, you know, Seattle, Washington. (laughs) I'm in the middle of the airport and uh, people are having fun watching me look funny and sound funny as I walk by. So, you know, I'm getting ready to defy gravity. And until then, I'm going to be talking shit. (laughs) Listen, when you're big time podcasters like us, sometimes we got to travel out of town for business and then we got to like telecommute our podcast recording sessions. So (laughs) I'm good. That's what I've got to tell the the listeners is going on. So don't don't correct them. Don't correct them. (laughs) 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 Let's talk about this uh, Disney Plus day that just happened last weekend. So uh, there's a bunch of things that they announced. I don't know if we're getting to every single individual thing. But there's there's a couple of big ones I want to mention. If there's anything that mm. anything else that you guys want to mention from the Disney Plus Day uh, that happened, which was the two year anniversary of Disney Plus launching. But what one of the big ones is that they announced X Men '97, which is a direct continuation, canonical continuation of the X Men '90s animated series. Which this is one of those like wow, th- th- this was <laughs> this was a surprise. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. This is one of those things. Is like this is not one of the ones that I would have you know it would have been up on my uh, cabin in the woods board of you know like oh what what's dizzy gonna announce this way oh all right who <laughs> unicorn who merman <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but um what, what do you guys think of this like have, uh, did you guys watch this the the, the x-men uh t- tv show from the 90s heck yeah i loved it <laughs> <laughs> That is uh, my sum total of the knowledge from that series, because I'll be honest, I saw X-Men Evolution, I saw Wolverine and the X-Men, Wolverine and the X-Men was a fantastic show, love that. Um, I've not seen X-Men 97, so I should probably catch up. I'm interested in seeing how they're going to do it. This is the second surprising sequel to a 20 plus year old series um, that we've seen in a while. There was a... He-Man's Master of the Universe Revelation, which is a direct continuation of the 80s He-Man show, and I'm like, that was a surprise. So I'm interested in seeing whether or not they take a similar approach in, you know, starting off with, like, the exact same design or design aesthetics and updating it, or if they just want to directly continue from the plot lines, but otherwise want to, you know, update the designs from modern day, or who knows? I, like you said, this is deeply, deeply unexpected. Um, So I'm interested in seeing how they're going to handle it yeah i'll be honest this is not a show i'm kind of with you like this is not a show i as much grew up with i definitely watched maybe a couple of episodes when i was a kid and i also watched at least the pilot episode like on disney plus when i first got disney plus but i i wasn't really able to at least like when i tried to watch it recently i wasn't like super able to get into it it felt like it's hard for me to get into some of these like 90s uh superhero shows because j- just th- 
the, the production quality is just much lower than what we've kind of come to expect. And like, I, I understand, you know, hand-drawn animation at the time, like they didn't necessarily have the budget of like the movies that were coming out in the nineties. Uh, and like nowadays it's, it's, e- it's easier to do animated shows now because of computer technology. Even if it's not a 3d animated show, they like most of these 2d shows are still done with computers. It's a lot faster and a lot cheaper for them to do everything hand-drawn. So like, I appreciate, you know, the fact that they went to all that effort to do these hand-drawn animated series back in the nineties. It's just, a lot of them don't really age super well from an animation standpoint, in my personal opinion, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of That's great memes fair. that came from that show though. I will say that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think actually, what are they? I think that the actual like uh, Marvel uh, social media pages actually posted the meme of like Wolverine lying in bed with the framed photo and him touching the logo for X Men '97, which is like so fucking perfect. Like the official page actually posted that, which is so fucking perfect to me. Yep. It's hilarious. <laughs> which I, I, I never, I, I again, I haven't seen that what episode that's from, but that meme always cracks me up just because of the idea that Wolverine just like lays in bed still in his Wolverine outfit <laughs> oh yeah no that's that's the thing i love about those old shows it's like look we can have like a maximum of like three outfits for any of these characters so let's just try and stick to the one that's skin tight and roughly human shaped so we don't have to you know <laughs> exactly it's like he does when he's wearing the mask like he that. doesn't have any pupils for some reason so we don't have to animate that part either it's like whatever <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I was never a fan of Wolverine, so... (laughs) Not even the Hugh Jackman version? (laughs) I'm a fan fan of Hugh Jackman, but even his Wolverine was so whiny. I I felt like Lestat still whiny Wolverine. (laughs) I mean, at at some point it's like, yeah, he's he's whiny, it's like... There's a certain amount of trauma that you accumulate in life where you're allowed to get a little whiny about it. It's like, hi, I don't remember anything from my early childhood. Most of the people I do know are trying to capture or kill me. Uh, My house gets blown up every few years, but that's just because I live at the X-Mansion and... You know, that's, uh, let's just put it this way. Professor X is not able to get any insurance on that place anymore whatsoever, but... (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> Troy, are you excited for X-Men 97? <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to leave that, uh, you know, in quotes, eh, Troy Hensley. They'll put that, they'll put that as the top review. <laughs> <laughs> when reached for comment, Troy Hensley only had to say, eh. <laughs> all right hey so i i know a lot. i'm sorry for you viewers who are really excited for x-men 97 i think that we're a surprisingly a different bunch when it comes to this but <laughs> i'll check it out i guess i'll watch it yeah i'll watch it i might give the night i might give the original 90s one another shot i might like it's it's probably a good yeah. show i just had a hard time getting into it at the beginning and like i also think a lot of the shows from that era got a little too much into to 
focusing on the character. This is the thing about, you know, the characters always lounging around in their superhero outfits. It's like, to me, they're t- it's too much about them as superheroes and not enough about them as people. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, the, the, sh- the yeah. superhero shows that I like the most are the ones that that walk that line. Yeah. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's the reason why I like Spider-Man so much is because pretty much every version of Spider-Man does pretty much get that right for the most part that, that I've seen. But, oh, yeah. but like, yeah, with the X-Men stuff, like, it's just a lot of them just doing action stuff. Like, again, I, I love Wolverine and the X-Men. I'm actually with you zach like x-men evolution i almost think went a little too far in the opposite direction of like there wasn't enough of the superhero stuff on that show but you know <laughs> i yeah. uh, i i that was also just me as a kid like i never liked that show as a kid but i might actually enjoy it if i revisited it but like i i really loved wolverine and the x-men that was the that was the one that hit the balance just right of like seeing them as people and also as superheroes but what, what do we think of the uh the the little brief little behind the scenes teaser for the obi-wan kenobi uh TV series. Uh, did you guys get a chance to watch this? Kenobi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for Kenobi. <laughs> no, I did. I am super excited from what I'm seeing. Looks like we'll actually get to check out a few planets. Also, looks like one thing that we'd speculated it might be about is absolutely correct. There are definitely Inquisitors there. Might even be Second Sister uh, from the game Fallen Order that design looked yeah either her or kind of based on her but could just be another inquisitor um either way i, I really don't know if the timeline adds up for that but i would need to look into yeah. that but yeah there are inquisitors um yeah got some good shots of uh vader chilling on a mustafar got um kenobi in his you know kind of desert robes yeah, I'm liking what I'm seeing. It's got, yeah, really strong visual design. Yeah, there's not much about the story yet, but it's it's nice to know that it's not just going to be, you know, Obi-Wan sitting in uh, his hut and Tatooine for like uh, eight episodes. It's like, okay. So I'm excited because they did the one thing that they haven't had the balls to do. They're bringing back Hayden. I don't know how this is going to go. But I'm excited. I don't know if we're just going to see Hayden from afar as Vader, or if there's going to be... I mean, let's face it, the greatest duel in cinematic history, whenever it comes to lightsabers, is Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. And they're teasing us with that again. So, that's going to bring in a lot of people. Um, A lot of people that haven't watched any of their other Star Wars shows. Because when you have Vader, let's face it, Vader and the Emperor are some of the greatest uh, villains ever written in cinema history and modern times. So we're going to give that. And they're kind of setting it up as, you know, what's going to go on there. I'm still sticking to my guns. I think that there's going to be uh, young Leia in this story somewhere. I think that's the only thing that will take him from Tatooine. So I'm really excited about it. The graphics, the the art is looking amazing. It's wonderful to see Ewan McGregor so excited about this project. That's what makes me happy too. Yeah. Ewan is a pretty honest actor. And I don't I don't think they would have him out in front if he wasn't happy. I was a little sad at the way they did Luke. So here's the hoping that we get some more Obi-Wan pie that's just scrumptiously umptious. <laughs> you know, you know why you and McGregor is so happy to be in the show, don't you, Troy? Why? Because it's not directed by George Lucas. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, I had to. I had. Uh, I'm sorry, Troy. I had to wound you like that. <laughs> because he has a director who knows how to direct actors. <laughs> Ooh, that's that's a yeah. <laughs> I remember they kept having to give him notes about making the lightsaber uh, noises while he was fighting in episode three. It's one of my yeah, favorite I mean, behind the scenes. Well, I love notes. that. No, that you can tell that like he, he definitely was was having a good time, you know, on in in oh, those yeah. movies. Like regardless of anything else, you know. And I I think increasingly more so as as it went on. It's like you can even see like Ewan McGregor from Phantom Menace versus Revenge of the Sith. Like he's good in all three movies, but he feels so much more invested with each movie that goes on. It's like like Phantom Menace, he's a little bit kind of there, and like by episode three, like he's really good like and he's really he's, he's better in attack of the clones is even better in french of the sith so i i really feel like he 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 came to enjoy the experience more and more as as the movies went on i felt let's face it the the uh fans have been asking for more obi-wan for a decade and oh for sure there's nothing like being an actor that's in demand for a specific character it's got to make you feel good Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that Ewan McGregor is a great Obi-Wan is one of the few things that people can agree on about the prequels, oh, yeah. whether 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 you like the prequels or not. I, I generally tend towards not liking the prequels other than I, I do like Revenge of the Sith, but I don't like the first two prequels. And even even Revenge of the Sith, I think, has some problems. But in all the like, I love Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan in all three yeah. films. I really do. Oh, yeah. I think I think it's I think it's one of the best uh, young castings like he really is. He's, he's not only a dead ringer for a young Alec Guinness, but he also took the character and made it his own at the same time. And I thought he, he just everyone needs to be ready, though, that there is not going to be a season two. This is going to be a one and done, and we need to we need to know that. So they're just going to have to satiate us for another twenty years. Well, and people have pointed out, and I, I agree with this. People are going to be like, "Oh, it's going to be sad to not to not see Ewan play Obi Wan after this." But like this, this to me is the gravy because we thought that he was yeah. he wasn't going to play the character again after Revenge. Like that was good, originally going to be his his last time playing the character. Now we we get one more. One more thing, like a yeah. whole t- a whole TV show yeah, of I'm him him playing Obi Wan, and then he can yeah he can ride off into the sunset after that. I don't care if it's not the way that I would think that it's done. I don't care if it's not the Leia thing that I'm thinking of it. Of mm-hmm. it being, I don't I don't care if it's something small like he had to go out and get a donut from. <laughs> Whatever. And things just, you know, spiral out of hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny a funny thing happened on the way of the Krispy Kreme on Tatooine. <laughs> you know, I'm tired of the donuts on Tatooine. They're all dry. So yeah. I'm gonna go to Coruscant for a day and get me get myself some donuts. Some voodoo donuts. Exactly. Some yeah. forced donuts. <laughs> they had these eclairs on Coruscant. That's all I've been thinking about for the last ten years. Kind of well, I'm there. I should probably go get a burger from from Dex's diner. I miss that dude. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and our main topic and talk about Marvel's Eternals. Spoiler start here for Eternals. Let's let's talk about each of these characters and, and kind of talk about their role in the story as we talk about each one and talk about notable scenes. But we have a uh, Cersei uh, played by Gemma Chan, who's kind of the main. Uh, it's an ensemble film, but she's kind of the main protagonist character. Uh, ends up be, being the one who's chosen to be the the new leader of the Eternals and. Ends ends up kind of coming in clutch at the end by uh, turning the uh, one celestial dude to into a new mountain range on Earth, <laughs> essentially. I think she was the heart of the show. She was the heart of the movie. 
Um, I, I think that's where it lies. Uh, if it had not have been, if it had not have been for Cersei and a couple of other characters, I I would have been just completely pissed. Um, I think Cersei was well written. I think we're supposed to connect with her because she's the one that loves the humans from the very beginning. She's the moral basis for the whole. She's the moral compass for the whole movie. So I I love Gemma Chan. She is fucking phenomenal. I'm really excited with the way she handled the character. That is, yeah, one of the most endearing things about her is that she's someone who deeply cares. Um, out of all the Eternals, she's the one who most heavily embedded herself in a human life. You know, she teaches at a university. She's dating a human guy who is apparently some sort of superhero in the we'll, comics. We'll, we'll come to Dane. We'll talk we'll, about we'll, Dane We'll in come a back around him. We'll come back around. But yeah, and I also, I kind of have a soft spot for characters who are seemingly, like, not the most powerful, but in the end do turn out to be, you know, incredibly useful. Yeah, out of all the Eternals, she is the one who both most appreciates and most resembles humanity in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with you, Zach, that it, what you said about uh, the characters who have, like, an ability that seems like, on paper, like, uh, it's like maybe not the most useful, but then it ends up coming in clutch. It's the Kitty Pride thing, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the fantastic uh, arc uh, on X-Men that he who must not be named Joss Whedon, sorry, I just named him, uh, but that, that but that hero, which again, horrible person, but great writer. Uh, but 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 his run on X Men, Kitty Pride, who like has the power to just phase through objects. Every like all of these super, he brings in all of the Marvel superheroes. Are like, how are we going to save the Earth? We there's this thing that's coming that's going to destroy the Earth. How are we going to stop it? Like Reed Richards and Doctor Strange and Spider Man, all the other X Men, they're all trying to figure out. And of course, it's her power is the one that ends up coming in clutch. And this is like uh, th this this was the case on, in Eternals that Cersei she can shift matter into a different state. It's kind of cool. But, you know, it's not necessarily the most, you know, on paper, the the, the most exciting power uh, for a superhero team. But it is the one that ends up making all the difference. And I but I, I really like this character. I thought that she was a great uh, kind of audience viewpoint protagonist character. Gemma Chan was great. I thought that, uh, yeah, she, she was she was very sympathetic and a great uh, kind of protagonist character. For, for us to follow. And I, I so I, I agree with you guys. I think she was one of the best characters in, in the film for me. Uh, what about Icarus? Uh, what played by uh, Richard Madden, uh, the Rob Stark character. All right, I'll let you I'll let you take it, Troy, because I can see you rolling your eyes over there. <laughs> Richard Madden is so pretty. He's like a lollipop. You see him and he looks good and you want to lick him. But then he opens his mouth and you see that the fuckers just can't act. Um, I mean, he is, he is the, he is the blandest actor that I can think of in modern days. I know he's going to get better with time. I know he is. But even in Game of Thrones, I was like, when is his part done? Can we stab him already? Oh, it's the Red Wedding. Thank you. Thank you for slitting his throat. And this movie made me wish for the wet, Red Wedding again. I, I can't even lie. The character, the character could have been fucking amazing. I mean, the writing was there. He was an interesting villain. 
And with the formula, you could see that coming a long way back. But mm-hmm. the actor, I, I, I don't like to discredit anybody's craft because I know we work hard at this. But holy shit, that is the most vanilla acting I've ever seen in my life. And this is, I've seen a few of his projects now. And I'm just not, I don't know if it's just because he's given these boring characters and he just plays them like that. But I thought Icarus had some oomph in the writing. It's just that he was bland. I will say that Icarus is another in a long line of Superman, but evil characters, which are... That's not a concept that I even hate. There's versions of that that I think are really interesting, but the execution in most of these is usually not fantastic and or uninspired. In this case, we have a man who can fly and shoot laser beams, and every time he flies, he doesn't like... He. This is a man who has complete freedom over the air, and instead of, like, doing any acrobatic movements or enjoying himself for finding freedom in that, he just stands up like a plank and just floats at people because he doesn't know how to fucking fly. Which I think says a lot about him. This is a guy who was given immense power and an immense duty, and he, with all of his power, just has no imagination or compassion. He is so far removed from everyone else that he just, yeah, he can't even imagine how other people feel or have compassion for Earth or try to find another way around it. He believes that from a cosmic point of view, he's doing everything right. But again, he's willing to kill his own family members for a hypothetical. And so he's he's a rat bastard. Nasty little <laughs> bastard, man. Um, I think that's the best description I've ever heard. Yeah, and, and ultimately, he's not that interesting, but he doesn't need to be that interesting. Um... So, yeah, uh, he's he's a nasty little bastard man, but he's supposed to be a nasty little bastard man. And I think he serves his role in this film well. I actually liked the fact that his movements while he was flying were, were very stiff. Because to me, that kind of just spoke to... he's He's been alive too long. And I think that that kind of affects a lot of things. Like, he doesn't feel... Like, he's been flying... This is a man who's been flying for 4,000 years. Like, there's... He doesn't have any joy in it anymore because there's no novelty in it anymore. Like, it's it's one of those things. And I, I think that that's kind of... And I, I saw that in the character. I even kind of saw that a little bit in, in the... I'll actually push against you a little bit, Troy. That I, I actually thought Richard Madden's performance was actually... I, I understand why why you make those comments, but I, I, I think that it worked for me because it might be one of those cases of like a Keanu Reeves like sometimes his bad acting just works for what the character is <laughs> you know I was I love Keanu Reeves as a human he's not that great of an actor I'm sorry but no, no it's fair beautiful human being yeah no yeah, he really he's a great is. human being love him I I have no complaints about Keanu Reeves except that but his acting, he's only you're right Sam yeah his his acting is only good for a very select few roles but I just got the sense and well, okay I one criticism I will actually give towards Richard Madden in this this performance I I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of uh, a different kind of energy 
in the 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 much earlier flashback scenes as opposed to in the present day uh, because i think that it would have been interesting to have really seen him become more jaded and more cynical over time as 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 this man who's just tired of being alive you know and that's that's kind of how i i viewed the character is is like you know when he's talking to uh ajak in in one uh kind of recent flashback and he said how long before the conversion she says seven days and his his immediate reaction is good we're, we're our mission's done we're finally finished he just and you even kind of see that resignation you know at, at the end when he f- flies into the sun like he's tired of existing but he wants his existence to mean something and he desperately yep. needs he desperately needs to have that mission because without that mission why why is what's he there for and then at the end he he resigns himself to defeat he's not even really mad about it he's just i guess this was all for nothing and then flies into the sun which it didn't occur to me until after i walked out of the movie it's like oh icarus flew into the sun oh (laughs) (laughs) it was one of those things but uh at first i thought it was gonna be like a flyby and then it's like no he's still going oh he's 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 going going straight it's like oh is he gonna go full (laughs) superman is he gonna get even more powers from the radiation of earth's yellow sun no wait no (laughs) he actually did for like two seconds before he horribly died i i like the fact that he was the villain i actually didn't immediately see coming that he was the villain troy because like i i there were there were two there were a couple of i thought good red herring villains of i thought druig was going to be the villain for a second and then i thought that maybe thena was going to be the villain albeit unwittingly and so i thought that they did a good job of having those kind of red herrings in there uh, for Icarus to ultimately be the villain, but I, I, I thought I thought that he worked as a character, and th- there are some ways in which I, I, I think they, they did actually kind of show the the regression of his character that he did have a little more passion in his relationship with Cersei, which you can kind of see completely fizzled out as as time went on. What about uh, Kingo, played by Kumail Nanjiani? Uh, I thought a great source of kind of comic relief throughout the movie. But both him oh, yeah. and Karun, his, his valet, I thought, yeah. We, we can kind of touch on both Kingo and Karun since they're kind of a package deal. But I, 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 I thought both of these characters were a great source of comic relief. All I got to say is, how many cameras did you bring? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I loved that. The bag contains nothing but spare cameras. <laughs> you know, every time somebody smashed one of his cameras, you know he went scrounging for that SD card, too. You know, yes. you know he was. Oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he ain't losing any of that footage. Exactly. <laughs> Kingo is me, and I am Kingo. I, I am, for one, getting to see Bollywood in a Marvel movie made me happy. Getting to see Bollywood anywhere makes me happy. Uh, the Indian movies are just so imaginative and fucking phenomenal. You know my taste in movies, and you know Indian films are just fantastic. But Kingo is exactly what I would have been if I was in that situation. Oh, that's my great-grandfather, and that's my grandfather, and that's my father, and this is me. Um, Exactly, yes. (laughs) Why not? You know, I, I absolutely love what they did with the character. I think he was one of the best written characters. There is a handful of these characters that I absolutely fell in love with. Karin, uh, is that how they pronounce his name? Karun? Karun. I was saying Karun, yeah. Karun. Yeah. Um, he, he was so beautiful. He was the best of humanity. Mm-hmm. The way that he was humbled mm-hmm. to be around the Celestia, to be around the, the Eternals. And he, he was just so great. 
And I think he and Kingo really made the movie. They made the best parts of the movie. Take a shot every time you hear me say someone makes the best parts of the movie because I'm going to be singling those out. There's not a lot of great stuff in this movie. No, I absolutely love Kingo and Kroon. Um, I do like how Kingo is immediately willing to, after he learns the stakes, he's like, all right, so we got to go save the world. I have to cut my film career short. I am going to get a documentary out of this, and if I'm going to give it my secret identity, it's going to be in, like, the most dramatic way possible. By having Karoon film a documentary series about the Eternals coming back together, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I really like him. He's... I even like the fact that at the end, he, you know, kind of abstained from the final battle, because, like, he, he does feel... And that's one thing I do like about this movie, is that the conflict is, like, alright, so you are going to save the world, these people you know and love and have come to care for these billions of people on this planet, you are preventing the creation of a galaxy, though. And a galaxy that, because of the way the Celestials work, will definitely have multiple worlds with intelligent life on it. I do like that he, you know, has that, uh, you know, that he has that uh, reservation about us. Like, I, I do genuinely think that Celestial Missions is important. I'm not fighting any of you, though, because I'm not a dick. Unlike Icarus. Camille Nanjiani is hilarious as always but i do appreciate that this role did get to draw on all of his expertise because he is also you know genuinely a very affecting actor um you know and those scenes where he is feeling that conflict were beautiful and pretty much every scene with karoon was amazing he is as you said the kind of the best humanity even as the eternals are discussing whether or not it's they're going to save humanity he's still like you know what you guys did help human civilization you know, from the start, did help it build up because, you know, Kingo did let him know that. And even as, you know, Kingo isn't staying around, I do like that he is still, you know, wanting to, you know, stay and honor the ones who are still willing to fight for the world. I don't know. They, I really did like him. I do, I do genuinely think those two are probably my favorite parts of this movie. Yeah, Kingo is probably my favorite character. It's, it's him, him, he, I would say he and Cersei are probably my favorite characters in the movie. I think, I think the two of them are. And I, and I love Karun as well. I, again, great, great source of comic relief. I think with the, uh, again, it's, it's Kumon Ajiani. It really is. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. him and, uh, the, the, fantastic movie he did called the big sick where he also got to kind of flex his uh both his comedic and his dramatic chops the movie that he wrote also based on his life it's again i i'll just build on what you kind of said zach like his performance in this movie like is not he not only was a great source of comic relief but like he has these really genuine and affecting uh moments throughout the, this this movie that really made me feel for him a lot as a character and i i i really adored king joe i thought he was great and again karun was just hilarious and also had some great moments as well what we think of uh probably my favorite coca-cola product which was sprite uh <laughs> what'd, what'd you think what'd you think of sprite she should have been written out she should have been written out you said yeah she didn't matter to the story this is the worst version of Puck and, and uh, Tinkerbell that I could ever think of. I thought the actress did the best with what she was given, but she wasn't that important to the story. Yeah, she stabs uh, Cersei at one point, and you're like, oh no, I didn't see that coming. I did. But to be honest, eh, she wasn't important to the story. Pretty much the one perspective that I did like with her, and I always feel weird about like the 3,000-year-old child trope i don't like that very much i always feel weird about it but i especially the three thousand year old child is like oh yes and she's in love with icarus and it's like that's not gonna turn out right yeah no that's 
it's awkward. Um, I, I think it does point, help that but... she does she does have the perspective of the Eternals that she is. I think there's another way they could have done it apart from you know just making her a child. Um, but I do like that she is someone who cannot fit in with humanity in a normal way um, because of her immortal nature. And I do like that that helps bring a perspective to it better than Icarus did in a little ways. Although I do also see your point. I think that if she was not involved, that probably we made it. That could have allowed more time to focus on Icarus's struggle with this. Yeah. Of not being able to connect to humanity because of the immortality thing. Yeah, like, that is that is interesting and that is an important viewpoint for them. But I do also kind of agree that she felt a little bit inconsequential. Especially since the scene where she stabbed Cersei is immediately like, Alright, well, uh, that didn't stop Cersei from doing anything whatsoever. Uh, it was just briefly distressing for a second. But apparently it wasn't even that bad a stabbing. Uh, which is weird, but okay. The point of it was not really to create actual, you know, problems for, for them to be able to accomplish their goal. The point was to show the splintering of the group. I I feel like... True. I, I, I think with Sprite, I, I really love Sprite. I love the way they handled her in the movie. I'm going to be honest. I, I I actually really responded to this character. It's it's what you said, Zach. Like, I, I know you kind of... I know you kind of did it in a way it was like, well, they could have done it in another way, but like, I think the, the way that she represents you know somebody who cannot fit in to human society i i think that having her be in the form of a kid was a really effective way to do that i mean i i don't really you know know why why exactly you have a problem with that trope in general but it's you know so i i think it was it was very like i have no problem with it i think it was very effective in this film because like to me like my my heart breaks for this person because here is a person who is absolutely she she's the same age as everybody else she's absolutely not just an adult but she's an ancient person but because she's in the body of a child she can never really have the same connections with humanity that the ones who choose to connect with humanity do you know with uh uh, fastos who has a family she can never have that cersei who has this relationship with dane that she can never have that yeah i'll kind of agree that her being in love with Icarus, like, it wasn't even, like, I didn't find it creepy or anything like that. I just thought it was, like, I, I, I just felt that it was, that angle of it was a little bit pointless. Um, it could, just because it never really went anywhere. But I really liked the character. I really liked the character, and I really liked what they did with her. And I, I love the fact that, you know, even though she betrayed them, we see just the bonds of, of what these, these beings have been through, that, that she is forgiven. She's not only forgiven but Cersei decides to grant her what she, what she wants which is to be a human being and even like with with, uh, with Icarus at the end uh, as he you know kind of flies into the sun it's like I loved seeing these characters who did come into conflict with each other who still treat each other with so much compassion and frankly so much love for each other because because they are a family and they, and they never stop being a family even though they do have this conflict and I think Sprite was I, I think I think she was a big part of that i think her story was a big part of that and what why why i actually really did respond to this movie a lot so i i really liked sprite i thought her story was was heartbreaking and beautiful to me i think that that's exactly what they were going for and i can agree you could tell that's what they were going for but i don't think i don't think the character was executed and i don't think what was written or the idea of sprite was executed very well and i don't think it came across but i understand what you're saying and that is what they were trying to go for. 
Well, it's just a matter of did it did it work? Like it worked for me, it didn't work for you. It's it's just different. It's just different viewpoints, you know. But but for me, what what they were going for completely worked for me. I really did. I I I, I, I definitely felt I, I felt for that character a lot, and I, I was I was happy to see her become a human at at the end. You know, d- despite the fact that she did make some really bad decisions over the course of the movie, I still was happy to see uh her her get her get her wish ultimately, which also saved them. Uh, uh, having to explain why in the sequel, why does she look like three years older when they make the second one? <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, Fastos, I had to, when I made the show notes, I had to put the actor name next to, because, like, by the time I got to Fastos, I was like, which one was that? It's, like, so many, so <laughs> many, like, dumb names, like. I think Fastos was my favorite character, completely and honestly. He was the embodiment of Hephaestus. He was beautiful and loving and he wanted to help human beings, and he was heartbroken. He turned around, and he saw that helping them did no good, and that he felt like the responsibility of the atomic bomb was on him, and that it created so much carnage that he was just horrified by what he saw. And as deists would say, God looked upon what he created, and he was horrified and he never contacted them again. And I think that I think that Brian Tyree Henry really walked that line. I felt for him. I loved him. I loved that his family gave him new hope in humanity. And I, I felt like I could really relate to this character. Get ready for that shot. He was one of the best parts of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I personally think that in a lot of ways he best represents one of the core ideas of the Eternals, which is that these are immortal beings with immortal aliens with immense power, um, immense knowledge, and they also have to live with the consequences of their actions and see how it all plays out over time. They have such a desire to help, but their action, they don't know for now how their actions will affect the future, but they do know they'll have to live with it and they'll have to see it. And I think Festos really embodies that the best um, out of all of them in that he his powers are just technology that he can you know manipulate and create it faster. Um, it is technology and knowledge that he wants to help give humanity a leg up. And I do like that his story is finding that balance, not pushing humanity to have technology that societally they're not ready for yet that we're not we're not mature enough as a species to handle and yet also still wanting to help to have faith on a smaller scale as he puts it he decided that he wanted to help fix his son's bike with his own two hands um instead of trying these you know grandiose projects um to leap humanity forward instead he'll on a smaller scale Raise his son right. Just do the best with that. Raise his son right along with his family. You know, I like that, you know, to protect his family, like he does still have shields around the house. And when it comes time to kick Icarus, to kick Icarus's ass, I also love that Phaestos is completely ready to kick Icarus's ass and more than held his own, actually. Yeah, really, really beat that motherfucker into the dirt. Yeah, so I, I love him. He's, and we'll get to Gilgamesh later, but he has that mix of being immensely powerful 
and immensely kind because he knows the danger of that power. He, he's, he's one of the characters who actually did attain real wisdom from his eternal ages. And, um, yeah, he's seeing, seeing his journey of, you know, eager to help Earth, you know, losing faith in humanity, regaining it. That, I like that. It was a really beautiful story. And, of course, Brian Tyree Henry is always a win. He's an amazing actor, and I loved his performance here. Yeah, he, I, I agree with you guys. I'm just going to pretty much echo what you guys said. I thought he was a great character. I thought that he was really well written, really well played in the film. And I'm glad, Troy, that you mentioned that scene. You reminded me of that scene of him reacting to the damage done by the atomic bomb. I thought that that was a heart-wrenching scene. I really, one thing, this is kind of just a, a side note. I, I really appreciated... And kind of going back to what you were saying uh, about uh, um, Kingo and the Bollywood stuff, like, I, I really liked that this was a much more global representative film than we've really seen from the MCU, because, like, there's always this thing of, like, in the MCU, like, we're yeah, we're always going to other planets and stuff, but it feels like whenever we go to Earth, we're just in New York all the time, you know? It's like, it always <laughs> just feels that way to me. Yeah. And I, I just, I love seeing uh, different characters who are live in different places who are from different places and 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 see a more global like less u.s centric uh perspective on things including you know seeing something that the u.s did drop a bomb on fucking japan as being something horrifying uh i thought was 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 a part of that for me yeah when they didn't have to one of of the greatest misuses of technology in history Exactly. If and I'm, I am glad also that you kind of remind me of what it, his power was, because I remember being occasionally confused about that. I was like, wait, what's his power? <laughs> he just like shoots these little discus <laughs> things at people. What? Oh, OK, yeah, I, I guess it is technology. Uh, uh, not to, uh, I guess, like name drop or anything like that. But like I've mentioned on the on the, the podcast uh, once or twice that I've I've worked a fair amount on the, the TV show, The Walking Dead on, on the set. And so I've, I've gotten to. Uh, I'm not guess I'm not gonna say I like know her personally or anything like that. I don't think she would remember who I am, but like I've I've gotten to meet uh Lauren Ridloff a little bit uh on The Walking Dead, and I was so fucking happy to see that she was cast in, in this film and to see, you know, and, and to, to watch her on, on the big screen in, in this film. Uh Lauren Ridloff, who's a phenomenal uh actor and, and just a really generous and awesome human being so i'm just giving a shout out to lauren ridloff as a person and i i really like seeing her play the the speedster makari in this film what do you guys think of her i think that she could have been written out it was nice to have a female flash uh and i think the actress did everything she could with the with what she was given but she wasn't given much she wasn't given much it wasn't needed i mean she did things in in there that was needed. She called people when they were thrown by Icarus. You know, she did the little dust cloud thing and too many characters. She could have been written off. Um, yeah, I'm glad she wasn't. She wasn't the most impactful character in there. Um, it was nice to see her. Um, I really did enjoy her scenes. I loved her performance. I agree she didn't have the largest role and she did as the character who was, as the Eternal who was reintroduced the, pretty much the latest. It was a little jarring to find that the character who can run faster than anyone else has spent most of her life staying in one place, more or less. Just rushing over the world to grab an artifact or two and then coming back to the ship for apparently thousands of years. And yeah, I do generally like that, um, while she, while she is deaf in the traditional sense, you know, she does still, does still have her, you know, vibration sense. I did also appreciate how the cast, you know, 
um, did learn sign language when interacting with, and so did, you know, better help when uh, their characters perform sign language to interact with her. Um, I thought that was a cool note. Um, I also thought that her powers were like extremely satisfying. Um, yeah, you go from Quicksilver, who is not faster than a speeding bullet in uh, Age of Ultron, to Makari, who is like casually running across time zones uh, fast enough that you can see her out racing the sun. Yeah, and her, her powers are just super satisfying to see, um, especially her fight with uh, Icarus was, um, yeah, super cool. Um, I do kind of agree that, again, she did not have the largest role in this, but I do think that her relationship with Drew was sweet. Yeah, and yeah, I, I just generally really liked her and I liked Lauren Ridloff's performance, but I do agree that she was not given as much as some of the other characters to do. Yeah, I, I'm kind of 50-50 on whether I, I, I actually do agree, even though I, I really liked the character, I do agree that I think she could have been written out of the film with, with minimal impacts, but I, I also agree with you, Zach, that I'm kind of glad that she wasn't because I, I just really enjoyed her scenes. And I don't know, sometimes in these, these team-based, ensemble-based movies, sometimes you have a couple characters who are there to be part of the team. Like, I, I hate saying it like that, but that's kind of how I feel. Like, I feel that way when I watch, even, even when I watch, like, a sports movie, it's like, look, not every yeah. member <laughs> of the team is going to be, like, a main character, but they still all have to be there, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, but I hear what you're saying, Troy. Like, like if, if they're going to be in the movie, they should they should have more of an impact. And I do. Th I wish she had had more of an impact than she had. Yeah. And, and representation matters. And I think representation, not not just of different uh, ethnicities and genders and, and sexualities, but also of, of people of different, you know, like different, abilities, different yeah, yeah. abilities. Yeah. Di people with different abilities. I think I think it's important to uh, like, like, be, like have as much representation on screen. Like I, I can just imagine uh, a kid who maybe has has uh, who is deaf or has a hearing impediment watching this kid watching this movie and being able to see a superhero like for them. I think I, th I think that that's important. But I also agree that I wish that they given her more to do in the actual film. I absolutely agree on that point. I am going to come back to that later because it's relevant for a different character as well but okay i do absolutely agree on that druig the druigs no one knows who they were or what they were doing <laughs> no <laughs> so druig uh i i thought again he my, my main thing i i enjoyed his character i thought he was a good red herring villain in the beginning who actually turned out to be a pretty cool character and i i think what one thing that they did with him that i really liked was the way they portrayed him uh mind controlling people i like that when he's con controlling a group of people to all attack their movements are completely synced up which makes it it really uh drives home that this is one consciousness through multiple bodies one mind dictating multiple bodies but it's it's one person's will and i thought that was cool i i, I think that it, again it's another character kind of like makari that i think they could have done more with but i, I but i i enjoyed him and i i also like the performance of barry keegan as well you know these are traditionally not the powers of a hero you know mind controlling a bunch of people um i do like that his big split with the eternals is like hey the Conquistadors are burning Tinoch Tietlin. We should probably do something about this. And that was his big split, was, you know, saving uh, the Aztec civilization, apparently. Which is, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I just generally like that, possibly because of his mind control powers, which might also involve mind reading, it was a little unclear. But I do like that from the beginning, he does also have a connection with humans. 
very deep one. And, you know, from the start, you know, he he doesn't quite get the same revelation of Phaistos as realizing that he should be more careful about his abilities, but he does realize that, okay, but this thing that we're told not to interfere is kind of bullshit because humanity can be terrible at times and we do have the ability to stop that. Yeah, like, I do like that it is, you know, compassion that drives him there, even if he can be a bit of a dick sometimes, as lovingly pointed out by Kingo. It's like, oh man, Droog's a dick. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. overall, I really liked him as a character. Most satisfying scene is him hitting uh, Sprite with a rock. It's like, okay, no, not even trying to use any of his fancy powers there, just... Going in with a rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Druid should have been cut, like I said, with the others, and melded with the other characters. Uh, it's it's just not good filmmaking. And for a Marvel movie, I think I think all of these characters show that they're kind of losing their touch. They're losing their way. Okay, I'm. I'm gonna, See, I don't, I'm just I don't gonna agree push, with any of that. I'm gonna push back. Like <laughs> the thing I'm gonna push back on. You can't say that they're losing their touch because there's like one movie that you didn't like. It's like you like Shang Chi, you like Black <laughs> Widow. He said now this one movie is that, even even if I agree with you, even if I agree with you, their it's like one movie's bad. Now they're losing their touch from one example. Like <laughs> how do you set forth something as poorly written as a script like this? I mean, it is poorly written. No, it's, it's a it's good script. Slow. I'm sorry. It's a good script. It's two hours. <laughs> it's ten it's superheroes that we've never yep. seen yes, before. Yes, it is. And it doesn't show up anywhere else. And I know they ask in the movie, why did you never Why did you never show up? And they were like, we didn't want to be involved. And we should always... It, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I think that the superpower was cool. But I think that it's a waste of body. It's a waste of talent. I, I just don't agree with any of that in any way. There's one character who I think could have been cut from this movie. I will say there is one character I think could have been cut from this movie. Uh, and we're about to get to that well, one in a second. On yeah, I, th- I actually think we'll be on the same page. That. I do. Before we get to that character, I do want to touch on Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. who's actually not the character I'm talking about. Oh, but, okay. um, <laughs> well, we're going to agree on that one, too. Gilgamesh was fine. I think that he was in the movie to be the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Like, like I, 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 liked it. I liked him as a personality. I liked the actor and everything. I thought that he was good, but I, but he ultimately was in the movie. Oh, we're going to create this like likable character that we can then kill off to raise the stakes. He was the sacrificial lamb. That was kind of how I felt about him, but I, I don't even have much to say other than that. He's Worf. Yeah. I think that they put him in the, in the movie to be driving Miss Daisy they wanted you to like him and then they killed him off because they wanted you to feel for him but the way that he had to take the only reason why he was living was because of Athena and she couldn't even get her shit together to save him so he dies and I felt like I felt like it was a waste why does the Asian man have to be a servant to the white woman and that's exactly how I feel about this character I, I have strong feelings about Gilgamesh the, the character was actually pretty well written and I like the character, but the art that they gave the character was ridiculous. It's another one that could have, if you were going to go that route, you could have cut him and melded him with um, Festus. Having the black guy be the servant to the white woman would have <laughs> No, I would, I would, I would, I would, I you know what? I, I just I want to be known for the listeners. I'm not the one making these comments. I, 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 I'm removing myself from any, any, uh, it's true, <laughs> anything that's it's being true. said here. <laughs> I think that Gilgamesh 
has a racist, I think that Gilgamesh has a racist arc. He does. He doesn't have a reason to be in the film. The reason that they give him is so that Thena doesn't have her memory erased. And I think there's a huge problem that we have to acknowledge here. I understand where you're coming from. I disagree because there's the in-story reason for why Thena has the condition that she has. And then there's the actual reason. I was going to save this for the full discussion of Thena, but might as well talk about it. Thena is someone living with a mental disability. Um, which is also a reason that I like her character in the film, is that that is good representation. Her mental disability is not resolved by the end of this film. It is something she lives with for the rest of her life. As you mentioned, these are these are family members, really, which does make it weird when they date sometimes. But um, they are family, and it's not subservient to a white woman. This is someone taking care of a mentally ill family member because... That is absolutely the way it's portrayed and what I see. Partially because, again, I have mentally ill family members, so I know what that looks like. I understand that connection, but it's not the way that it was portrayed. And they even talk that about him being stuck really with her. What I saw. They even talk about him, her, him being stuck with her and putting her to sleep for how long to go on a vacation well i i think that what this co- I, I guess i'll come in and like moderate you know what what like i yeah. think that what this comes down to and this, one reason i like having these discussions is two people can watch the same movie the same plot point and see something completely different and i don't think that either of your interpretations of it are wrong it's just it's the way troy saw it is the way zach saw it and I'm going to basically say I don't see it the way either I don't see it the way either of you guys saw it. You know, I, I view it as, as just a lot more face value to what it was kind of being. It's like, I, I didn't honestly view there, there being any kind of like problematic, uh, you know, r- racial connotations with Gilgamesh being an Asian man. But like, I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, the authority on that kind of thing either. But I mean, I, I just I just felt that it, it was all just a plot device to like explain what Gilgamesh has been up to and then ultimately like bring Thena back into the movie. But then Gilgamesh is in the movie to be killed off. I, I that's that's honestly how I felt. I felt like he was in the movie to be yeah. killed off. And that that is true. Like I said, he's he's the wharf. He's the powerful guy to show off how strong the deviant dude is. I think that's where it that's where it rubs me the wrong way. I knew that he was written as fodder. He was written to be killed. And it pisses me off because he didn't have any other important motive. And he did with the character that he was. But they didn't give that to him. And it, it really rubs me the wrong way. It really does. Well, and that's why I can see, even though I, I see the movie differently than you do, Troy, I can see where you're coming from and saying that there are too many characters because Absolutely. the fact is they didn't they didn't really have time to give him his own story arc because there's just a lot of other stuff to get to. And I and I can and to be honest, it didn't even bother me that that was the case, but I can understand why that that would be viewed as, as being an issue. I just think there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, the character who I think could have been completely cut from this movie is actually Thena. I'm gonna be honest. I think she could have been completely cut from this movie. I I think she honestly was. I think I think she didn't really contribute anything to the movie. I and agree. I at at first, like again, the, the whole thing with with uh, her um, again, I didn't I didn't view it. I didn't think of it in terms of being a mental illness, but like the thing where uh, she like that wasn't really the way I, that wasn't really the way I thought about it. But I but I I can I can mm-hmm. I, I see where you're coming from. It's just not really the way I thought about it. I, but but the whole thing, uh, I I just I thought that that was going to have actual 
actual plot relevance of some type, and it didn't really. Because, like, at first I thought that that was going to be the way that they made her the villain. Like, again, at different times I thought that Druig was going to be the villain, and then I thought that she was going to be the villain, but not on purpose. And it was going to be the, this this kind of, you know, tragic thing where they have to, like, fight her, even though, like, she doesn't know what she's not in her right mind or whatever. But but I, I just, I don't know, the, the char- I just feel like she never really went anywhere. I think the character just never really went anywhere for me. And um, I actually like Angelina Jolie in general, but I just don't feel that she really had much to do in this particular role. I, I felt. I think that she should have been cut and all of her attributes should have been given to Ajax because they had to kill off Ajax anyway. And I think that they could have done the memory thing with Ajax. With her remembering other things and having this deficiency, I think that would have been really cool. I think Athena was a wasted character. It just took up more space than we needed. We didn't need this archetype. We already had that in Ajax. We did already have that in Ajax. So take the two and combine them. And this is the producer's job. This is the producer to go to the writer and say, I see what you're trying to do here, but why can't we meld these characters together and get another version? It just didn't work the way they executed it. Um, Athena was, took up space that should have been used to explain more of the plot. I did feel in a lot of ways she was kind of not not necessarily the most important character, not the most affecting character. Um, again, I did like seeing the representation of someone with a mental disability who was going through... Yeah, but I, I do agree that if there was a character to roll into another character out of the, out of the entire film... Thena really was the one to mix into another one. And I do also agree it's not, this is not necessarily my favorite performance of Angelina Jolie's, but a lot of it is just what she was given. Yeah, it's the writing more so than it's the performance, I think. It is. Uh, Yeah, they're just, her character, I think the reason why her character bothered me more than the other ones is because, like, I I look at characters like Makari and Druig, and, you know, like, I I look at them and I'm like, look, I never got the sense that they were really supposed to be, like, main, main characters in the movie. They're there to be, again, part of the team and part of just the overall kind of, you know, consensus of the group and part of the group conflict. But like Thena, Thena felt like it felt like she was being put as being like, oh, this is one of your main characters. It's like, cause she, she's the one that, that defeats the, the, the big, the, the, the big bad deviant. Uh, I think Crow is the character's name. She's the one who has it. And, and I liked that fight scene and I liked the fact that she, she kills him. But at the same time, like it felt like they were really setting her up as like, she's one of the main central characters, but she never really lived up to it. I don't know. She was for being s- supposedly like, like, it felt like she was supposed to be like that but she she just didn't leave an impression on me in the movie at all she just she just was kind of there the whole time i don't have much to say about ajak uh i like salma hayek i think she did a good job playing this character but she she was there like she was more of a plot device she was more to kind of set the, the events of the story in motion i felt which, which is which is not a problem for me at all like i i thought that she was well utilized for what they used her for in the movie my biggest thing about this movie, and something that I recognize is very difficult to do with the sheer scale um, that they wanted to do, and I understand why it's a film, because you have scenes where you meet, like, they're the Celestial Ereshem, and he's this, you know, he's, fu- he's a fucking living landscape, you know, staring down, holding, you know, someone in their hand. He's a, he's a planet-sized being, with all the gravity that that holds. So I understand why it's a movie. But with the sheer number of characters they wanted to cover and the scale of time they wanted to cover, I do genuinely feel this probably should have been a show. And Ajak is one of the biggest examples of that, is this is a character who has a lot of effect on everyone, and it would have really been nice to 
see more of her, but I understand, you know, why we didn't. As you said, she's more of a plot device than anything. But as with everything, I do really kind of wish this was all a show so we could get everyone their time in the sun, and then they just blow out the budget for the final act. I wouldn't have watched it if it was a show. Yeah, there is no pleasing some people. (laughs) (laughs) And I I could go either way, because, like, if it was a show, then they could have given each character their own storyline, like... Because that is something you could do. You, you can have a giant ensemble cast in a show because you can have this episode focuses on this character, this episode focuses on this character type thing. But and I, I think in the case of, it, for me personally, Fina was the only character that like majorly suffered from just the ensemble effect. I think she, she was the only, like, like there, there are minor things with other characters, but I think she was the only character who I think uh, felt extraneous to me. Ajax, I thought she was in the movie as much as she needed to be in the movie. Like she didn't leave a huge impression on me, but that was, I felt that her, her job wasn't really to be like a fan favorite character. Her job was to set the, the film in motion. And I think Sama Hayek did a good enough job like in the scenes that she was in that like she 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 got me as an audience member to be invested in her enough that I I, I see why she like uh, she's so respected by the by all of the Eternals, uh, even by Icarus who ultimately kills her. But it, you can see that it kind of tears him up to do that. So I I, I thought Ajax was completely good the way she was used in the movie. I just think that again she she's in the movie for plot reasons. You know she she's not meant to be a, a fan favorite character. Uh, when it comes to Ajax, my direct quote is. Meh. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I don't I don't even really blame you for feeling that way again she she didn't blow me away but she but she but I, I thought that she again ser- she serviced the role that she she, she meant Selma to fill Hyde I feel. is fucking phenomenal and I absolutely love her and I would kiss the ground that she walks on if I was in the same room with her because she is a phenomenal powerhouse of an actor but the writing for Ajax could have been so much better had they put Athena and Ajax together, and it would have made more sense, because she had the whole mission in her head. She knew what the whole mission was, and it would have made sense that it started splitting her mentally, uh, like it did with Athena. It just makes sense. Especially with her coming to the conclusion that they can't let Celestial be bought for. One thing I actually do kind of agree with why that would have made more sense for her is that it is mentioned that out of all the Eternals, She's the one that doesn't undergo memory wipes. Um, she remembers everything she's ever done. And it would make sense that after a while, you know, she's immortal, but, you know, perhaps there is an upper limit on how, you know, there's a reason the other ones get their memories wiped each time is there's an upper limit on how much you can hold. And some of it starts to collide together. I want to touch on Dane uh, just briefly because he, he's not in the movie very much, uh, but again, the other Game of Thrones, the the other the other member of the uh, the other son of Ned Stark who is in this movie. Uh, we all want to. Touch I, Dane I almost, <laughs> to be honest, I almost wouldn't have even made his own a topic for him, except for the fact that at the end of the movie, he do, he turns out to apparently be some other superhero in and of himself. Like there's a whole post credit scene, which okay, here's my thing. I, I liked Dane in the movie as far as just being a connection to humanity that Cersei has. I felt that that was what what he was. I felt that that was all he really needed to be, to be honest. They felt the need to also make him be a superhero 
of some type. We don't know exactly who he is, but you know, I, I know it's something from the comics, but I'm not familiar with the character. But so like, I'm I'm very I'm very conflicted about the fact that they did that with him because it felt so fucking random. That's the main thing. It felt so random to me. But I also understand that as we're moving into this new phase of the MCU, where a lot of the the original Avengers are gone, they're just trying to populate their universe with more and more new characters, where maybe they can kind of spin him off and you know spin other characters off and do things like that so they're they're setting they're setting the seeds for future stories and i appreciate that it was a little bit random that that's that's kind of my thing but this movie was already so long i love him just like what's his face he's a nice lollipop to look at and he's more talented he is much more talented he is a really good actor but the movie was already long enough did we really need him no we didn't Cut him like he owes you money. I liked him, but I do actually see what your you know, what your point is, and I do think they don't necessarily need to cut the fact that Cersei's in a relationship with a human. They don't actually need his scenes to get that across, though. It's, it's one of those things where I don't have anything against him, um, but yeah, if you were going to cut a character, you could cut Dane. Just, I mean, a lot of these I've mentioned you can consolidate in some ways, but yeah, if you're just going to straight up cut a character, you can cut Dane. It's fine. I like him. I like Kitty Harrington. I liked him pointing out, it's like, yeah, no, it'd be a lot less weird if you were a wizard, because that's a thing that happens nowadays. Exactly. I, I don't think he should have been cut from the movie. I just don't think he, that he needed to be, he needed to turn out to be some weird super person. For me, it helps to have Cersei have a human connection and for us to see that human connection, because again, you show don't tell, I, I feel like. And he was a good character, but not only that, I think that he was the audience viewpoint where they could just do the simple thing of they can explain stuff to us the audience through explaining it to him i think that that's really that's also a big thing and again he's he's in the movie at the beginning he's not most of the rest of the movie and he pops up again at the end that's all he really needed to be it's just just that post-credit scene was so fucking random of like what he's somebody too like yeah actually the more i think about it i think i think the character should have been in there i just don't think he should have been that character from the comics i think he should have just been a guy i think that that's what i'm gonna say i think he should have just been a guy he did he didn't need to be whatever whoever he is but but yeah you know, we'll, we'll probably see kit harrington i mean if, if we do end up seeing kit harrington as this badass superhero in another movie then cool i thought the deviants were fun the, the deviants were pretty much just generic monsters i thought the visual design of them was very cool uh i thought yeah. the cg was very cool oh yeah but i thought the deviants themselves uh like i know they, they, they kind of had crow who had more of a personality but even he like they were just they were mainly just the bad guys so, like i don't really have much to say about the deviants yeah they weren't even the main bad guys well the celestials and icarus is like the bad guy that they're fighting mainly at the end and then the celestials are kind of the larger sort of you know celestials are interesting as bad guys because it's not that they actively hate humanity or even hate life what i like about them is like yeah no this is literally all above what they care about this is not they don't have any malice in this this is just how they reproduce yeah, I enjoyed that as well. With the cel- I'll kind of go into the Celestials as well. That like, I my favorite thing about the Celestials is just the enormity of the scale, the way they did it vi- visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, like seeing it on the big screen and and just seeing when uh, when Ajax is speaking to them or when Cersei is speaking to them, like just how just how small she is in the shot. Like I, the shots are just composed beautifully, mm-hmm. where they're so massive that they're not characters; they're backgrounds. 
Uh, and I, I think that that mm-hmm. was done so, just the visuals were done so well. And it, it feels like for the first time, it, it made me understand, okay, I can see... I can kind of see how they're probably going to end up doing Galactus visually uh, when when Galactus does come in, into into the stage. Like, is because I I got yeah. shades of Galactus when when we, she was speaking to the main Celestial. Yeah, when that one shot of Ereshkigal when he came to collect Cersei, and you just see his face rising like the moon um, in the background. It's like, oh, okay, that's probably how Galactus will be. That's actually my favorite part of the whole movie. This. Human-shaped celestial body coming. Yeah. The one last thing I'll say on the Deviants is that I was really disappointed that Crow's big sentient realization was like, and now I'll seek revenge against the Eternals. It's like, you just realized that they didn't even know what they were doing. Come up with a more interesting thing to do with your sentience than just die immediately. Maybe try and herd the other Deviants and maybe even have them at the end say, you know what? Fuck it. We're done with this shit. We're done fighting you. We're just... We're gonna go. We're gonna leave. That would be, I I didn't think about that, Zach, but that would have been a, a more interesting way to go. So it's it's not something I thought of when I watched the movie, but I'll, but I'll kind of agree with you there. It's like if you're gonna make them sentient, make them interesting. Yeah. Otherwise, just let them be big dumb beasts. And again, I I so the more we kind of talk about this, I I definitely see where where you're coming from, Troy. That there there, there was a lot, maybe a bit much going on in this movie because again, it comes down to the fact of they they just didn't have time to necessarily explore all of these individual threads. But Zach, let's start with you with your uh, overall thoughts and your score from one out of ten. So I appreciate, and I think that to a large degree the movie actually pretty succeeded on their goal of having this story of an immense epic scale both in length um you know spanning thousands of years and dealing with stakes and you know dealing with these celestial beings whose goals are literally so far above human concerns and their intentions are actually not bad they want to prevent you know, the, their actual goal is pretty normal. They want to prevent the death of the universe. They want to prevent entropy from taking over. They're saving life in the abstract, but they're killing a lot of individuals. And I like that they mixed, that they, you know, showcased that by having these cosmic scales, but these very personal individual stories as well with a large cast. And I think to a large degree they succeeded, but because of the ambitious attempt of what they're doing, it does, yeah, it does run a bit long. There are a ton of characters they don't have a lot of time for. It does feel a little bit packed and like some of it could have been shaved or could have been edited, but I think personally that they did mostly succeed um at what they were trying to do. I like a lot of the characters. I like Cersei, love Kingo and Karun. Um, love Phaestos, like Makari and Druk. Um, yeah, the Celestials, like the effects of the Celestials especially were amazing. They were gorgeous to see. Loved. Um, Makari's super speed was also a joy to watch. Um, even though Icarus is a bastard man, uh, you know, anytime he fired off his, uh, his heat he vision, that was super cool to watch. Is it perfect? No. Yeah, I think it was really ambitious and really well achieved. And I am, yeah, absolutely love Chloe Zhao's direction of this. Um, so overall, I'm going to give this, um, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. I would like to say before I go into this, Chloe Zhao is a phenomenal director. I love Nomadland. I loved Nomadland. And you know how I feel about dramas. 
had they cut the script to where Cersei, Icarus, Ajax, uh, Kingo, Thessos, and maybe Makari were the mains, I think they would have had a stronger script. I love having the diversity. I love have represent. I love having representation, but it has to fit the story. Right now, this is like a very ridiculous version of Shazam. Uh, it's like they were like, okay, they did really good on Shazam. Let's bring in some magic. Let's make him immortal, and um, 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 let's make it super dramatic and make it two hours long. And I think that's where they failed. I think that the writing, I think this is one of their weakest films. Uh, I think this is their weakest film. I think that they dropped the ball on it. I think that they bit off way more than they could chew. And I don't even think this movie is above average. I think they tried. I was excited to see Galactus. But I think they bought. Um, so I'm going to give it a five out of 10. Chloe Zhao is a phenomenal filmmaker. I'll definitely echo you guys. I, I also really liked Nomadland, Troy. I thought that was a beautiful film from last year. Uh, best picture winner. And I was so happy to see that Chloe Zhao was doing a Marvel film. And I think she delivered. I really do. I think this was a beautifully made movie. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. One thing I'm going to just kind of gently push back against what you said, Troy. I, I just don't even get the comparison to Shazam. I'm going to, I'm just going to say that. Like, I just, I just am not even seeing where yeah, you're was, coming from. I was going to ask. I don't even see like, where you're coming okay, from so with that, to be honest. <laughs> I did, these Those two movies are not related at all in any way. I don't even see how they're being conflated. I don't. You get all these superheroes that have to share this power. It comes from the same source. It is. It is. It is a Shazam style movie. It's very similar. That's like saying the Power Rangers is just as tied into this. Exactly. It's a very different movie from Shazam. It's, it's, it's a very it's different not trying movie. Yeah. Shazam in any way. No, it's really. It's not trying to be Shazam. Shazam at all. No, it's definitely not trying to be Shazam. But anyway, with this film, it's it's an epic. It's this centuries long storyline with a big cast, which I I enjoyed. I honestly enjoyed the big cast. I thought I thought that just contributed to the epic, larger than life feel that this movie had. And I really admired Marvel for doing something different. They tried something different with this movie. It's like we're gonna cr- we're gonna craft this this dramatic, heavy, heady epic. And I understand why it doesn't necessarily work for everybody because it is really different. People come into MCU films with a certain expectation. And I, this movie kind of didn't necessarily follow the usual MCU formula. And that's why I liked it. It's because it didn't. And I love the MCU. I love every movie in the MCU. I really do. But I just I, I thought this movie was refreshing. It was so different. It, it represented a, a maturation to me for the MCU. It, it, feel, it feels more grown up. In a way that that th- these movies don't always for me. I think um, it's 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 just it's just a fascinating, really interesting movie. And people talk about the length of it. People talk about the pacing of it. And like again, it's different. Uh, uh, different people can view things in different ways. I never felt this movie was slow for me. 
is it a slow burn in terms of like compared to other movies uh, like kind of in the Marvel universe? Like, sure. But like when I say that it never felt slow, like it's it's like it is like more than two. It's like two and a half hours or something like that. It never felt like that. It went by so quick for me. I was never bored a single frame of this movie. I was never bored a single frame of this movie. I really never was. And I kind of realized why I like this movie and why a lot of other people don't is that it really reminds me. And you might actually agree with me when I say this, Troy. It really reminds me of a Zack Snyder movie. It, which is kind of why I loved it. it. Just just the pacing of it, the, the kind of larger than life, like super dramatic, super heavy, super heady. Like it just it really reminded me of that. And Chloe Zhao had even said that uh, that there was some influence. Yeah. And and the, the way like even ju- just the way that she visually did like the movements of Icarus, she said, was very influenced by Henry Cavill's uh, by, by Man of Steel. She said that was very much inspired by Man of Steel. And you can see that in the movie. You actually can see that in the movie in a lot of shots and uh and i i really responded to that i responded to the fact that it did feel like a snyder film and in, in the sense of having that sense of epicness and that sense of scale and i think chloe Zhao is just a phenomenal filmmaker and i think she brought so much to this she brought so much flavor so much style to this this movie it has su- it has such a strong sense of identity too like as much as i like the mcu like sometimes they just feel a little too homogenized in the sense of like they they they, they feel they feel a little too much like filmmaking by a machine rather than filmmaking by a director by an auteur and this this movie felt like that to me there are flaws with the movie i do think that fina was an extraneous character i don't think dane uh needed to be the weird superhero guy at the end of the movie i thought that was weird i i said i did not like either post-credit scene i'm actually gonna say i didn't like the harry styles one either i just thought it was really weird and awkward that whole scene uh i th- oh no it was i thought weird. both post-credit scenes were actually bad i'm gonna be honest but the actual movie itself i thought was excellent uh, I'm gonna, definitely going to give it a 9 out of 10. I thought it was a really strong film. And it also features... I was immediately in at the beginning when they played Time by Pink Floyd, which is one of the greatest songs of all time. <laughs> and they play it over the opening. And I'm like, let's go. I was I was in from, from that point on. So having said all that, uh, Troy, where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me at the Troy Hensley on TikTok and uh, Troy Hensley on all of them. Uh, folks can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can find me on Twitter as Zachariah Schneider or Zachariah Schnet for Zachariah S-C-H-N-E-4. I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram at SCWilson underscore actor. You can follow my band Running Riot at Running Riot Band on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We release episodes weekly. Up next, we're going to go back to our Spider-Man marathon by reviewing The Amazing Spider-Man, the first film starring Andrew Garfield who is supposedly most definitely and definitively not at all in Spider-Man No Way Home, according to him on multiple interviews. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, <laughs> you know, what? I'm actually, I'm kind of starting to believe him. I've got to be honest, but I hope, I, I hope be, I'm yeah. wrong, but like, I kind of, I kind of actually don't think they're in the movie. I kind of don't think don't he think or Toby is actually in it, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, but yes, we are still going to review Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2 in preparation for No Way Home. Uh, because we know at least the villains are going to be in it. For Zack Schneider and Troy Hensley, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd shit.
shit. Nerd shit. Stay shitty, nerds. Nerd shit. Nerd shit. So strap on in. Because we're talking about the nerd shit.